Hello, everybody. So today on Wealth Habits Podcast, we're going to talk to you a little bit about something that we think is extremely important, and we want to call it entrepreneurship. My name is Corey Chapman. I'm sitting here today with my co-host, Sherry James, and we're going to give you our insights and our thoughts on what it takes to become truly wealthy. Sherry, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Good to see you today. <laughs> One of the things, I'm going to just jump right in, if Let's that's go. all right with you. Okay. It. So what I feel is that I remember back in the day when you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur, and it was like almost like saying that, you know what, I want to go get in a spaceship, and I want to go fly to the moon. It was this odd thing. You know, you were quiet if you had a side hustle. Now, everybody, you're you're the weirdo if you don't have a side hustle. And I feel like everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, and it's almost like entrepreneurship is a fad. But I find that a lot of people are not really entrepreneurs. They really have a glorified job. <laughs> and so I'd like to start preach. there. How do I make sure that I don't just have a glorified job? You know, I, I really believe that what you said just nails it. Because when we were growing up and you talked about entrepreneurship, no one was really doing that, right? It was all about going to school, getting a good job, going to a great college to get you a good job, and, and then moving on from that standpoint. And then you'd work for that job 30, 40 years, retire, and then that was the cycle to that process. Now, you know, I was talking to my son just the other day. He's like, Dad, everybody's an entrepreneur. But are they truly an entrepreneur? I think we're using that term entrepreneur a little loose these days because a lot of people don't really realize what it means to be an entrepreneur. And like you just said, you know, are they a glorified hard job and they're just working for something that really is not going to get them to where they want to be at? You know, that's self-employed process, right? We discussed this a while back about one of our favorite authors that we talked about in business. And I had a profound conversation where it kind of took me to a level was Robert Kiyosaki, right? Absolutely. And really identifying what it meant to be an entrepreneur. You know, Absolutely. there was that business quadrant, the investor, right? Self-employed. Right. And what all that actually meant, you know, and for me, that was a great way for me to truly understand that I knew I didn't want to be self-employed. I wanted to be a business owner. I wanted to be able to make sure that whether I walked into the office tomorrow or night, there was somebody bringing money into our household. And I think that's along the lines of what we really have to kind of dive in and really talk a little bit about what it takes to be a true entrepreneur. And really, if you're going to use that term, understand what that actually means. So if I hear you correctly, you cannot call yourself an entrepreneur if when you go on vacation, your business goes on vacation. If it stops and there's no paycheck, there's a problem. That's a job. That, that's just a glorified job a glorified versus job. a business. Right. So a business, I mean, obviously, I think it runs better if you're there, but a business keeps running even if you're not there. The thought process becomes, how do I build something that will perpetuate and continue to keep income coming into my household, whether I'm there or if I'm not? And I think that has a lot to do with really understanding the structure of what you're trying to accomplish. You know, there used to be a book back in the day called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Yes. And I love that the fact that he said, you know, in your mind, you thought that you had to do everything. You didn't realize that you were the janitor, the receptionist, the CFO, CEO, CAO. <laughs> you had every acronym you could think of because you did it all. 
And I think when we think about entrepreneurship, we forget that we can be really good at one thing, but we may not know how to handle all of these other areas. And I think in order to truly start but, diving into that, you have to figure out what is going to be your niche that you want to start to build upon. But don't you think in the beginning you kind of have to do it all? Like, did you start out with a system? Yeah, my system was me do everything and, you know, and hope that at the end of the day I had a little life left in me. But, yeah. How do you know when you're ready to make that first hire that would begin to take some things off of your plate and begin to put it onto the plates of other people who are then responsible to you? It comes down to you really starting to do some self-realization of knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at. You know, I was told that a long time ago, you want to hire the people that are better than you to make your job easier. And I know as entrepreneurs, we want to do it all. We want to touch everything. We're type of people who, at the end of the day, we want to make sure we got our hands on everything that's going on. But I have found that the more that you collaborate, the more that you have teams involved, the faster you grow because it's no longer about your capacity and then your education, but you're leveraging multiple people's capacity, multiple educations and allow you to expand faster. So to answer your question, how I knew when the very first time I was supposed to hire somebody, it really came down to me saying, I can't do it all by myself anymore. There were areas that I was not proficient in, even though I knew I was trying to make it work, uh, building on a shoestring budget, as they say, I still realized that I didn't know what I didn't know. And I needed to try to get some help to help me in that arena. If it was nothing more than just to have someone there that can bounce some ideals off of, talk a little bit more in detail about what I was trying to accomplish, and elicit their help to help me move past where my capacity was at. These kids today that are, every one of them is calling themselves an entrepreneur, you know, they're an Instagram famous or YouTube right. YouTube famous. But do they really have businesses? Like, is what they're doing really sustainable? They've got their following. But can you really count on that carrying you right. for the long term? I look at it from this aspect. As an influencer, if you stop influencing, does the money stop? Hello. That right there is the answer. At if if day. you stop doing what you're doing, <laughs> does the money stop? And if the money stops, you're not an entrepreneur. That's how I look at it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Y'all heard it. I didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I repeated it, but I didn't say it. <laughs> but now, then now we're gonna have a whole bunch of people that we blog with and don't accept us in the market. So you gotta be very careful, <laughs> Sherry. All right. So I get it. I, I look at these these young millennials that are doing some things and and saying some good things. Don't get me wrong. They got some great podcasts, some great insight. But my thing is, is that at the end of the day, if you stop, can you continue to make revenue? Right. You know, I'm watching uh, Kevin Hart's got a, a documentary out there right now. And I don't even tell you what the title is, but you guys could look it up. But what I loved about what he was saying was, and, it's, and I think this is very apropos to this conversation, is he knows he's a comedian by trade. But he realized he'll never be a billionaire by just being a comedian. He made that statement in this conversation that he's got to diversify and learn how to do other things to keep that brand going. You know, Kevin was the, from what I understand, he was the first person to get an endorsement by Nike because, and he was a comedian, because he realizes that he's got to be more than just a comedian. He's a brand. And so I think as an influencer, if you're not building a brand, where you're not just con communicating a conversation, but you haven't built a brand, 
I think then the money stops. At least that's my belief. And so in terms of a brand, then it means you need to have a product. But you're the product, right? But the product's got to be more than just your than conversation. Just your, right. Right? The product has to be more than just you articulating words and inspiring people to make right. take action. It has to be along the lines of things that could be even bigger, right? When we think about certain people who have their own clothing lines and they have their own furniture line, they have their own, you know, sports line, it's more than just what they did at their job, they now have this brand that's bigger than that, right? And I think that's where you become big. When you look at Magic Johnson, it wasn't just Magic playing basketball. It was all the other things he did from opening up movies to Starbucks to relationships, Bank of America, and all these different things he did. That's what built his brand. So you just made me think of something in terms of building the brand that you have to be able to leverage what it is that you have. How do you find the problem that you're supposed to solve with your brand? You know, you just kind of nailed it. You know, I've always was told that if you help enough people get what they want out of their lives, it'll help you get what you want in their life. And I believe that today we live in a society that people are going through a lot of stuff. I mean, we turn on the news and every time you turn around, someone's being harmed. There's some violence in the world. There's some racism. There's something of some sort of negativity that comes about. And I think that the way we heal our country is by learning how to accept one another from all aspects and then learn how to learn from each other to become better for everything else. And I think when you were saying, you know, how do you become that influencer? I think if you can be some voice that goes out there to make a difference in the world, that's how that brand starts to expound right from there. Because now you become that symbolism of whatever that's going to be. When we think of Mother Teresa, we automatically imagine she's the one that's saving the world, right? It's just something that became a part of her. And all she was doing was doing what she does naturally, right? Right, which was, was helping that community in Calcutta. Community right. So maybe making a difference, this is one of our pillars, guys, making a difference is making a difference right where you are. Correct. It doesn't have to be grandiose, right? Right. It can be just as simple as doing things that are right in your same neighborhood, making a difference when you do. There's a saying that says, what are you doing when no one's watching? Yes. I love that. Yes. Yes. It's yes. not about, oh, if everyone's looking at me, oh, I, I picked up the trash. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. It's yes. that person who picked up the trash when no one was watching and they right. threw it in the trash can. For yes. Them. That's the difference. That's the difference. Making a difference. Because I live in a, a condo and well, there's one person in particular. She always goes out to water the garden. Like, because I'll hear her outside with the water hose. hose and, I'll, and I'll be like, oh, there, there she is. Tessa's out there again, watering the garden. But guess what? The grass is green. Mm -hmm. So making a difference right where you are is enormously important. And to bring this back to the entrepreneurship, can you make a difference with the few people that you do have? Because that's the only way that you're going to be able to turn it, turn that 10 into 10 million is that you got to make a difference with the 10. You know, my wife right now, she's about to launch her own platform, right? In her new book and so forth. And the thing that when her and I were talking and we were brainstorming and having a conversation, the question she asked was, where do you start? You know, what do you do? How do you do it? You know, that kind of thing. And I think the simplest conversation I could have to her was I just said, just start. 
Because it doesn't matter what you're saying or how you're saying it or where you're delivering it or what platform you're on or what social media you go through. Just start something. Because you'd be surprised how many people are following you, who are looking at you and watching you. You know, it's funny. I, I ran into a lady the other day and, you know, you never know who's looking at you or following you. You just don't, right? And she made this comment to me. She goes, you know, I've been watching you. And I at first was like, oh, okay, you know, but thank you. And she was saying, I've seen your growth and I'm so proud of you, right? And I was like, wow, what a great statement. But you just never know who's watching. And I think for us, we all inside of us have something we can share, something we can give that adds value to someone else's life. And I think by us just doing and getting started at it, it gives us that ability to use that. Do you feel like people are in business to make a difference? Wow. You want me to get cynical or something? <laughs> you know what? I think that I think there are a few unique individuals in this world that I truly believe are authentic. Mm -hmm. And they really believe in making a difference in the world. Um, I got to tell you, I don't really follow him as much as I should. But the new up and coming Jay Shetty. A beast. Yes. And I truly believe in who he is and what he believes yes. in and what he talks about. I think that he's authentic as all get out. Yes. You know, and I think that is something that's rare. You know, um, my wife, she's that person. Mm -hmm. You know, she's that authentic, giving, caring. Nothing else matters as long as I'm making sure someone is okay. And I think that's rarity. So to answer your question, I don't think not everyone, but I think there are a few. But should what you're doing as an entrepreneur make a difference? I think it should. We all have a duty to make this world better. You know, what you say and what you put out there should be something that adds value to people's lives. It should be something that changes people for the better. It should be something that gives them hope when there is no hope. So I believe that us as entrepreneurs, as orators and speakers and, and people who want to convey their message, you have a duty to make someone's life uh, be touched in a way that it makes them feel better. So I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to go back to the cash flow quadrant. Mm -hmm. Robert Kiyosaki came up with this idea. I'm assuming it's his idea. But there are these four quadrants where there's the, the I, the E, and S. the S. Uh -huh. Yes. And so the E is for the employee. Mm -hmm. The S is for the self-employed. Mm -hmm. And those are on the left-hand side of, a, if you imagine, a, a plus sign. And on the right-hand side, in the upper right quadrant, is the business owner. And in the lower right quadrant is the investor. And what he explains is that the employee and the self-employed are basically working jobs. Mm -hmm. And even though the self-employed, and he said they're doctors, lawyers, accountants, and other professionals, and they may be, may be making a big income, but essentially they're just the boss of a job. If they stop working, it stops. Right, exactly. But on the B or the I quadrant that you have, someone who has a business, that that business can keep running, even you go on vacation, you have some type of disability, but you have set up systems so that the business can continue even in your absence. And then the investor is the one who then takes their money and they make the money work for themselves. They have money making money. <laughs> 
Yeah, I want that kind of money. money <laughs> I want money making money. Right. So, so the, the question that I have is, is maybe somebody is listening to this and they have probably had a, a, an epiphany that, oh my God, I thought I had a business when in actuality I'm in that S quadrant. I'm really self-employed. Are there some concrete things that we can share with people to do to move from that S quadrant to that B quadrant. And if you could think about maybe your own experience when you, you know, made the conscious decision to stop being self-employed and become a business owner. And while you're thinking of that, I'll just I'll share this piece. We're just briefing, I'm throwing this at you <laughs> off the cuff. But I know for me, I I I don't want to say luck because I certainly was reaching for it, but I landed in a business situation as a senior minister, whereas every other business I had is pretty much self-employed. So I was my own boss, but I was the boss of a job, not the boss of a business. And it wasn't until I was situated in a role as CEO of this spiritual organization that it actually really was a business, but it was already functioning. So I can't, I can't tell you that I consciously know how to cross that threshold, but I'm now sitting on that B side where the decisions that are being made are adding to the bottom line of the church. And then, of course, as, as the church grows and, you know, my support from it grows as well. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. But I, I think really what it came for us is we got to a point where we knew that systems had to be put into place. It became a point where you can't do everything yourself. You can't juggle all the things that that business does by yourself. And I think once you finally can cross the point where there's enough income coming into the business itself, that's where you'll start making decisions based off of monetarial sides because you can now say, I can hire someone to help take up a little of that slack. So I think, unfortunately, most entrepreneurs or most self-employed people, they're just not at a capacity yet that they can afford to shift to a business side yet, unfortunately. So they got to continue to keep doing all the things they're doing on that shoestring budget, trying to grow their businesses until they can financially get to that point to do that. So what's the baby step? Is there a baby step in there? Like, like I know when I was, when, you know, when I was in my job that I was the boss of, I know that one of the fears that I had was that I wouldn't have enough for somebody else to do. And so sometimes the fear of, figuring out what a position needed to do kept me from then following it all the way through. And so I could have hired somebody, but the fear that I would run out of work. Here's a great thing. We live in, like I always say, a technological society. I truly believe that hiring virtual assistants and online help is huge right now. We have the ability that if you need someone to answer your phones part-time for two hours a day, you can set a virtual assistant up to do that. If you need someone to be your videographer for a week, they can come in and be a per-contracted basis, and you can just hire them for that week. So I think now at times that because of this Uber society that we live in, we can now farm out quite a bit. So I think that's the mini step right there. Instead of you not being able to afford a full payroll kind of thing, you can independently contract people that can help their jobs or help your job or your business along to get to that next level until you finally get to the point where you can truly afford to do that. 
I'm taking notes, y'all. <laughs> I want to leave this podcast with some actionable nuggets. Okay. No worries. Um, I think the next thing also, mm-hmm. after you start to that virtual side and, of course, getting that contract to work to start to help them build, I think that's where it comes down to you starting to create your systems. So let's just say, for example, maybe you're a seamstress and you're building some type of designer clothing. You have to be able to write down your steps on how to repeat that and duplicate that so that someone behind you can go and do it. Unfortunately, many of us as entrepreneurs, we think that we have the special sauce and no one else can duplicate that. I think when our business started to go to that next level is when we sat down and I literally sat on the computer and listed out everything that I do and explained how that process worked on everything that I did. So that way I can then delegate that to the next person that comes on. Now your system is in place and now you have the ability to delegate and know that it will follow the same path that you did it as. And heck, if you got something really good, they may do it even better than you because now they found a way to make it more efficient in that process. Recognize that you need systems. Mm -hmm. Maybe take a baby step with a virtual assistant if you can't make the full commitment to bringing somebody on full time. And then... Getting clear on everything that you do. Correct. And then turning those things into different jobs. Turn them into different jobs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because once you know all the things that it takes to get your business to move, then now it's just plugging into pieces. You hire somebody to do that part. You hire somebody to do that part. Hire somebody to do that part. And as it starts to become more efficient, hopefully your revenue should increase as well. And now you can hire those people as full-time as opposed to independent contractors. And now you get them on board. And then you start the domino effect and build the business from that point on. Okay, this is good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Having a little master class here myself. I'm running through things I need to do at uh, Up Church over there. Like, okay, got it. Being an entrepreneur is, I think, probably one of the hardest things that you can do. Mm -hmm. I think you got to have a lot of heart. And I think you got to be willing to push through a lot of failure and get back up. And the only thing that I think makes it easier now is that everybody's calling themselves an entrepreneur. (laughs) So you got a a whole squad of people that are failing. (laughs) So it doesn't feel as bad. But I think that you've got to be willing to push through and continue to get better. And one of the things that I got a chance to work with you closely working physically here in the office at EFC. And one of the things that I appreciated and that really influenced me is, is your emphasis on getting better even incrementally. And I, that for me was like a game changer. And of course, I'd read it in different books and things like that. But it was another thing to have it as an example to look at. And I was like, OK, that's fire. I know I know I'm going to like put this to work where at every little step, it's only one little small part. But can we do that one little small part better and then go over here in this one little part and that that one percent better at every little turn that has a snowball effect over time. And I feel like maybe some people that want growth and want their businesses to scale, that maybe what they're not doing is looking at improving what they can improve. And maybe they're thinking that they need to do a wholesale improvement versus let me tweak this little part here. Let me tweak this little part there. And to trust that those little tweaks will add up to something huge. The great thing about where you get to be at as an entrepreneur is that you have the control of making those tweaks, as you said. 
there's a, a great book that's called 212. And it just talks about how the one degree is the difference between boiling water. Mm. 211, it doesn't boil. 212, it starts to boil. That one little degree can make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. So as you start to see. That's good, Corey. Okay, come on. That's good. That's we'll good. See, that's as, good. As that's good. To see, Y'all better get a pen and pad and write that down on one degree. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. As you start to see those small shifts, it makes a huge difference. Yes. You know, when we started our marketing efforts and we were putting money in, you know, you can't really afford a lot when you first start out. But I remember thinking to myself that if I wanted my income to increase, what would I have to do differently to make that income increase? Well, did I need to see more people? Did I need to sell better? Did I need to spend more? But what I found was doing little small habit shifts and changes, I looked at my presentation and what I was talking about, And because I tweaked just a few things, the conversation was no longer about all the things we could do for you. I made a slight shift about the first opening was talking about my family, my relationships, how my mom raised me. And that one little shift made our numbers go through the roof because of connection. Right. People don't want to know how much you know until they know how, how much, much you care. care right. 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 So right. when I made that shift, and again, that cost me nothing other than to just that one degree. That one degree. That one degree. Oh, this is good. I'm, I want to clap. Is. I want to. This, right. this is good. This is good. This is good. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. This is the part that's going to preach. You got to be willing to go small in order to go big. Most definitely. You know, the, the, the small things mean the most. Yes. That's where it is. And a lot of yes. times we're trying to think about these really big, big things that we got to do. Big, seismic, right. How it's going to cost us all this money to do it. Right. It's sometimes those little shifts, that one degree that makes all the difference in the world. I love that. I love that. Yes, 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 yes. So I want to bring it on home with the book that we want people to take a look at. And I think this time we're in agreement <laughs> so that I, you won't accidentally say the book that I was about to say. Um, but the book that we want to focus on is Cash Flow Quadrant. And this is the second in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series by Robert Kiyosaki. And this book is a game changer. It will help you think about where you fit in that quadrant. Are you an employee? Are you self-employed? Are you a business owner? Are you an investor? And then if you... If If you find that you're on the left-hand side of the quadrant, which is the quadrant that pays the most taxes, it's the quadrant that has the least flexibility and the greatest risk, what can you do then to then move over to that B or that I side of the quadrant? You know, that book was definitely a game changer. And and I'm now looking back and kind of reflecting on the book and realizing Society, unfortunately, teaches us to become employees. Yes. That is just kind of Or at best, self-employed. Self-employed, That's right. that, Yeah. But, you know, you think about it, it's been set up that way for so long. And you realize that there's such a disadvantage in just being just employees, right? Uh, if nothing more than just from the tax standpoint, you know? Um, and so I think what's interesting, you have to educate yourself. You really do. That personal development, which is one of our seven principles, right, mm-hmm. is that personal development. You have to learn how to become better. I say this all the time. That is my favorite quote is be Become better. 
How do you become better? The best way you can do that is start to educate yourself so you understand the differences between the quadrants so you can truly understand how to make the right informed decision on what's going to work best for you and your family. And I think that's what this book will help you kind of define. So again, like Sherry said, I think Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki is a great opening book to start learning about entrepreneurship, learning about business, and really understanding what they all mean in the different quadrants. Absolutely. And so we want to give you three action steps, three things that we talked about today. The first is that you've got to recognize that you need systems, that if you're going to make that leap from the left-hand side of the quadrant to the right-hand side of the quadrant from the E and the S or the employee or the self-employee to the business or the investor, that you're going to have to recognize that you need systems. And then second to that, you're going to need to then start to experiment. Maybe you can't bring on somebody full time, but you can take a baby step. Mm-hmm. And that there are places like Upwork and Fiverr and Love what Fiverr. Yes. <laughs> where you can get some assistance. Just try it out. Just take the leap, put aside a set of money and and invest it in somebody helping you. And then finally, you got to sit down and write out what your job is, like write the entire thing out and then begin to look and say, okay, who can now pick up this slack? Like you said, hiring somebody to just answer the phones for two hours. That kind of work, those three things, if you do those things, that will help you begin to make that leap across the quadrant mm-hmm. uh, and get to that right side of the quadrant. Because something my mom has said that stays with me is that this country was made for businesses. Mm-hmm. The tax code is made for businesses. It, the, 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 all the policies are made for businesses. And so if you want to take advantage of what this country has, you're going to have to go ahead and have a business. Well, that said it all right there. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Wealth Habit Podcast, where we always like to remind you that if money is all you have, you are not winning. Thank you guys for coming out today. So this is the final to the Wealth Habits Podcast. Have a great day.